Serious TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and joining me tonight, well, the person who would actually fit the Minnesota nice label isn't here, so I'll say it's the Kentucky cool to my New York yuck. It's Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, Scott. How you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. I, I, I momentarily considered saying the Dale Griffin to my Neil Page, <laughs> um, because... We are recording this, uh, well, Thanksgiving Eve, and there's a decent chance that some, if not all, the listeners are going to be listening to us either Thanksgiving morning or the day after Thanksgiving. But nah, I, I went with the other one instead. But as one might have heard from the, when I made the Minnesota Nice reference, which would have really applied to Jamie, who is a Fargo fan and has participated in these podcasts, and hopefully she will before the season's over. Um, she does have that Minnesota, a bit, a bit, a bit of a Minnesota accent there. Um, but we are here to discuss the season five premiere of Fargo. And we have been anticipating this, well, probably ever since season four ended, especially when we heard who was going to be on this season. But before we get into the, the premiere, which was, I. I think as they've done before, they gave us two episodes. That was very nice of them. Um, and, and they were like normal length episodes too, which was very nice. Cause we know how Noah Hawley can, you know, sometimes like, wait, uh, I'll do like an hour and seven minutes. Or an hour and 11 minutes. But before I even watched the premiere, I was thinking about what Fargo, the series has generally been and how the characters and storylines and even many themes, they kind of have fallen into a very well-crafted formula that that Hawley, he obviously initially imported it from the original Fargo film. And then he kind of used, you know, kind of created like a sketchy template of how he constructs an entire 10-episode season doing that. Now, as we discussed when we covered season four, I, I, and if we didn't, well, I don't know what the hell we were discussing then. Um, he did get away from that formula to a certain extent, a large extent even, with season four. And I think we, look, we podcasted about it. We still enjoyed it. Um, but, and this I know, I am positive we said this during that coverage of that season. For whatever reasons, I mean, actually there are a lot of reasons, it felt more, that season felt more like a nod to other Coen Brothers movies, more so than something that fell under the Fargo brand. I mean, I mean, am I right? I mean, he had a bit of a little Miller's Crossing here, a little bit, you know, and kind of had, kind of like, oh, it's like, it's like a Coen Brothers period kind of a thing. And again, we, I think we liked, there were a lot of things we liked about the season, but at the same time, it didn't quite feel Fargo-y enough for me. Personally, I did like it still. I just like, oh, this is a good 11 episodes of television. But it just didn't feel like the series I'd watched, especially for seasons one and two. We know season three had some issues, whatever. So, you know, when you, when you look at the Fargo brand and the way I've been thinking about this, because I didn't, and I went into the premiere truly not having read 
anything about who, other than the only thing I knew about the season five premiere, Brian, I knew John Hamm was in it. I knew a few of the actors. I knew Juno Temple was on. I knew John Hamm was on. And I knew the kid, uh, Joe Keery from, um, Stranger Things was in it. And there might have been one or two other perform, maybe, maybe I, I think I knew Jennifer Jason Lee was in it. Um, I think I had heard David Foley was on it, which is pretty amazing. Um, but that's all I knew was casting. And I knew that Joe Keery and John Hamm were like a father and son. I mean, heck, I went into the premiere thinking that they were, you know, the two cops that were going to be the, the heroes of the piece, so to speak. And that became pretty evident. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what they're doing here. But when you, if you, if you put season four aside, because again, that's, that's Hawley trying to tell a much bigger pastiche of a story on, you know, even though he titled it Fargo and, you know, we, we've just, we, if you want to hear what we thought of that, go back and listen to those podcasts. But the character types, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. They, they, there always seems to be at least you have the one seemingly hapless or morally conflicted character who always has a lesser or better half who might have a far greater capacity for conniving a morality or whatever. Um, the exception being, if you want to go to the first season, when you have both those qualities in the same person, where they start out one way and they become that. And then, because I'm, I'm thinking about it, that's Martin Freeman basically starts out one way and he switches that at a certain point during the season, right? Yeah. Whereas season two... Um, you've got the, the the couple, the Kirsten Dunst and um, Plemons. Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons, um, who I guess, I, I think they're still a couple couple now, aren't they? Good for them. You know, the, when you watch that, you can kind of feel like how, how things must go in that house. But right, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, she was clearly the more conniving of the two and whatever. Season three, you had the two brothers and you, you know, that one's an interesting one because you've got the hapless one who kind of makes an attempt to be sort of conniving, but he's not really good at it. And then you got the brother, the other one, who's not really, but he's kind of still kind of a scumbag, if I recall, and he gets worse as it goes along. So, you know, that's that. Pl- so we go into this season and we kind of can, cons- and if you start, when you start watching, you kind of see, oh, it's playing out again. By the same token, you also have an antagonist in, in every season who represents th- th- this ever-present menace to those aforementioned characters. It's usually by chance or happenstance or something or, or something along those lines. Uh, more often than not, you know, there's always some mistake, miscommunication, error. Something goes wrong, and then you know, everything just goes awry and whatever. And and throughout the series, you'll have it any number of semi-innocents who stand in the way and usually tend to lose their lives. Those are the people that are usually refer to in the opening crawl about, you know, well, we've changed the names, but we were trying to stick to the truth of the story to, you know, to, to honor those who died or whatever. And there's always the variances, operatives acting on the villain's behalf, sometimes seem to always turn on their employer or whoever, you know, it, it's like, you know, either it's it's a, it's a mobster and a gangster, or a hitman, or 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 kidnappers, or whatever. Which all goes right to the original Fargo movie. I always think it's funny when they they start playing with a kidnapping concept again. Um, it always seems to feel like Fargo plays as a battle of evil versus pretty bad, and the closest thing we get to a hero 
tends to be one or maybe more than one um, officer of the law who ch- tend to find themselves caught in the middle. And, they're tr- and they're, they spend a good chunk of the season trying to piece together the puzzle of what the heck is going on around them. And, and then they know where they're going to pursue. Because you, you certainly have that character in the first season um, with, um, I can't remember her name off the top. Allison um, Tolman? Was that her last name? That, that sounds right. Okay, I, I apologize if I got her name wrong. Obviously, Patrick Wilson in season two, along with, a, you know, if you can say Sam Malone. I know it's not Sam Malone. Uh, <laughs> season three, is that the one with Carrie Coon was the uh, the cop, right, in season three? Yeah, and it was Oliphant in four. And Oliphant is in four, except there's all, they kill Oliphant, don't they? Or am I? Wow, it's been so long, I can't remember. Huh. That's not a good sign. Of, you know, he's, well, he, well, oh my God. Well, offense playing a lawman with, with a cowboy hat. What are the odds? Um, but all the, but I feel like all these things are always present. And it's, I think that, and it's, so it's these little kind of morality, oh, Henry like tales of, of violence and murder and, and relationship dynamics. And that's the Fargo brand. I think it's what made the first two seasons so brilliant. And even if step, season three was a step down, because I think when we talked about it back then, I think the audience's sympathy and maybe their interest even shifted almost completely to a couple supporting characters as opposed to the people that the season felt like it was supposed to be about. But if there's one thing Fargo consistently does well, even whether it be seasons one, two, three, or four, and maybe better than almost any other series, quite frankly, it's the way they fill out their cast with uh, which so many interesting, intriguing, quirky, odd, or just plain fun supporting players. And even in the two episodes we're going to talk about tonight, you could start to see that happening here. It's like, okay, that's a, even though I see some of our main characters are have enough quirks themselves already. So the the first thing I'll say, and then I'm going to throw it to you because uh, I I feel like I've eaten up enough airspace here. Um, I'll, I'll say this about these first two episodes. Let me say this: <laughs> it feel to a large extent. I'm not going to say completely. I'm not gonna say completely, but to a large extent, it kind of sort of feels like it's re- it's a return to what makes Fargo Fargo. You know what I mean? It's you know it's it's everything from it's you know the lo- it's the lo- everything from the locale to the characters to you know the the the, the lies and the deceit and everything. <laughs> it it really kind of um. It it, it kind of made me smile after the first episode, and I was like, "Okay, this this feels this feels like Fargo to me." And again, this isn't me knocking season four. You're talking to the guy who loves period stuff, so going back further in time has a great appeal to me. But this feels like the show that I always had signed up for. The uh, the scene of a horizon with nothing breaking the horizon, like a cityscape or like the look of a flat road with a car parked on it. Um, and in the background, nothing or a sparse rural setting is uh, that that's Fargo. Uh, that's where the majority of Fargo takes place. And as we know, in, um, in the movie and what I think some of the, our favorite 
seasons. Um, there, there are trips to the city or bad guys from the city come looking for you, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, a whole season in the city, I think, was a little tonally a shift. Uh, and while we liked season four, um, it it got away a little from that element. And I think with the passage of time and our excitement of who would be in it, um, I, too, avoided reading anything. And I really badly wanted to read Seppenwall. Alan Seppenwall had written a review mm. that I almost clicked on. And then I went, nope. Nope, not gonna do it. Um, the funny thing with Seppenwall for me, um, ever since he switched over from, I guess it was Uproxx or whatever to uh, Rolling Stone, I honestly I can't read most of his stuff that he posts there when he put, when it first comes out because I don't subscribe to Rolling Stone, and every time I, I click on those damn things, I can only see like the first like four lines of whatever he wrote, <laughs> and then it's like to continue. It's like I'm like, no, I'm not, I, I stopped buying Rolling Stone as a magazine years ago. Why Why am I going to pay to read it online? You guys write the worst list of all time, and Mr. Sepinel has even participated in some of those, so shame on him. So, I, I, But I am part of some um, newslettery thing he sends out every week, so I'll probably get a bit of his take, like, on Friday, <laughs> so, so, which is good. That means I won't... I don't have to worry about parroting any of his words, which is always right. a concern of mine when I read him. I was like, I never want to read his stuff before I do. And it's great how many times I tend to be in sync with him. Not because ooh, I want to be, because I disagree with him about things too, but I'm like, oh, here's a, a well-educated person who knows about TV talk. And oh, we, 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 we saw it the same way. Anyway, come on, Brian. I didn't mean to interrupt you that much. No, no, no. I, I agree. I'm largely simpatico with him. Uh, and he also leads me to stuff occasionally, stuff I might overlook. Um, because unlike a lot of critics, he'll look at stuff that isn't quote unquote mainstream. Right. Um, but, uh, but I didn't click on it. And I have to say, uh, about 15 minutes into this show, I found myself smiling and thinking like, like whatever this is, the world tonally, the dialogue, uh, the settings, the actors, um, like I was back in the world that this show excites in me and really, really, really uh, enjoyed it. And at the time without knowing anything about it, um, it wasn't until it was over that I particularly appreciated that there was a structure to see to episode one and episode two to, you know, really put us in the world of who is going to be, you know, the, the center of the action and then introduce us to the, the bad guys. And it was funny because I kept going, when's John Hamm going to be in this? Like, when's John Hamm going to be in this? Um, and it reminded me, you know, we were joking uh, on the uh, podcast about, uh, the morning show. Mm -hmm. And I said, man, I'd love to see him do some more menace. And you go, well, I think he's going to be the good guy in this one. And I got done with episode two and I was like, he might be the bad guy. Yeah, he's, and, he's the bad guy. And, and just <laughs> Mr. Stranger things. Heartthrob is like, you know, the uh, stereotypical where your uh, shades backwards on your head, racist, uh, authoritarian, 
a police officer. I mean, there's so much commentary. I, I, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, I think, the element that you referred to earlier, uh, because we know the uh, trooper who got shot, who's in the hospital, and, you know, the, the, the woman that goes to see him at the hospital, it looks like they're going to team up. Yeah. And... You know they're they're going to be hopefully the good law people that that you know get in the middle of this. Um, so I really really enjoyed it, and and when, later when we get to it, I have one small complaint. But but the things I love about the, like the Coens and this world, I mean Dave Foley, what a name! Like is 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 it is it an obvious Shakespeare joke? That his character's name is Dana Danish Graves. Graves. <laughs> is that like? Is that like? Hey, like this is you know. I mean, because all of Fargo is is sort of Shakespearean tragedy and farce, right? Um, and and you know, there's going to be a lot of blood. There's going to be a lot of death. Um, but this had. I was curious because I was so ignorant of it. I didn't know if Holly was writing all of it, how much he was directing. And, you know, at the end of the first episode, he wrote and directed it, I believe. Yep. Um, And there was there was the menace, but there was the farce, the the comedy. It really hit all the notes. And I have to say, probably my favorite my favorite joke in the whole thing is when the kid stood up with the air horn (laughs) And the guy shoots him. He like blows the air horn at the guy in the convenience store. Uh, when, when the you know the police officer says, "You got anything back there?" He says, "I have an air horn." And then when the guy comes in, he sticks up and holds up the air horn and gets shot. And, and it's so absurd. I mean, it's it's Cohen absurd absurdist. Right, right. Um, but but I really really enjoyed it. Even in and in the past, you know, there are these small touches of midwestern life or you know outside the mainstream life like i dare you to find a show where the where bisquick has been mentioned more that that many times yeah Yeah. like i mean you know like hammer off she gotta have her bisquick and and it was uh man i'm smiling talking about it right now you can see the smile on my face i I really thought tonally these first two episodes killed it for me, and and it's I wasn't I wasn't nervous watching it. I, I knew I would like it, but I loved it. Oh, excellent! Yeah, it's interesting. It's like yeah, it's what I said before. It's always it's often like a pair of law enforcement who who somehow uh, join forces and not necessarily they never they're not, they're not part of the same department typically or whatever but like that's what they did in season one and that's what they did in season two and i think there's another one with carrie coon i think it's her and someone else in season three it's not she's not i don't think she's a lone wolf the whole time i think there's one other person in there i can't remember i'm a little i'm it's weird maybe it's because i've i've rewatched not recently but i have rewatched seasons one and two and i never rewatched three or four obviously so it's it's harder for me to remember as well um yeah, I, I, I was taken with the very beginning. I, I love the definition of Minnesota nice because 
they they put that out there for you. It's you know it's that that almost ag- aggressive niceness, you know, kind of a thing. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, that's interesting because we've been watching a series that you know minus one season. Always, there's always the run, there's always the gag about a show that's in the movie, the original movie called Fargo, which you know Fargo, but so much of it is really Minnesota <laughs> all the time, and. Then when we meet the character, um, and specifically the Dorothy Lyon character that Juno Temple plays, you're like, oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> right. She's, she's the definition of Minnesota nice. And it's kind of funny when we get to a moment in the second episode, even though we've already been clued into this by information we've gotten about her earlier on in the episode, when you, but I'm someone who watched with the captioning, and I love how Liz, the caption is like, um, Liz's accent. <laughs> right. And then she puts it right back on again. But uh, getting just, I, I love the opening with giving that little definition. That's kind of just a cute little nod. I did not expect to hear a yes song <laughs> to open up an episode of Fargo. And the way everything plays out, and we're, we're building this little, this little misadventure she has and where it's going to lead. And I was like, I, I was, I was entertained by it, but I, but I, I, but I kept waiting. I was like, okay, but this can't be the thing. You know, I was like, okay, this is, this is a thing, but it, it's not the thing. The minute, the the two different hooded fellows show up at her door at her house and that's that's what kind of kicked it in for me that and everything that proceeds from that point on is like okay we're we're in classic fargo territory now and it's funny how if one wanted to be negative one could say okay so they're going back to another attempted you know at least at the, for that for this episode that first episode oh it's another kidnapping or abduction gone gone wrong or partially wrong or whatever and it's another pair of guys who have been hired by someone else and how is that going to go and one is much more scary or creepier or or imposing than the other one who's a bit more on the smaller side. this goes all the way back to the movie with you know with with Bissemi and the and the other dude whatever um and one can kind of like smack them around for, oh, you're not being very original here. It's like, mm, you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay. It's like, oh, look, something bad's going to, they're getting pulled over by police and that's going to go horribly wrong for at least one of those cops. Hmm. Wait, where have I seen that before? Oh yeah. Fargo. <laughs> right. just, I, they just keep hitting those notes, but I, I just enjoyed how it all played out because it's a situ that the way that whole situation plays out. You'd think that when you have one officer who's still alive and is able to communicate with, um, you know, headquarters or whatever, and you know, man down, blah blah blah, and he makes his way to an, you. You you think this shouldn't be as big? It shouldn't be as big a problem as it is. It should be easier for them to handle. But you realize, well, they're out in the sticks here. He's he's on the highway. You know, the station where the other cops are might be several, you know, 
30 miles away. Who knows? I don't, you know, it's, it's rural here. So, you know, there's great, there's greater distances involved. It's not like it's, you know, it's New York City and it's, you know, it's six blocks away. It might be 16 miles away or, and don't have a definite read on where they are. Um, yeah, and I, I, that, that is real even where I live. Um, one of the, and I'm not trying to be political here. One of the things that is true, there are places that if you live, um, you can't call the cops for protection because by the time they get there, it, it's too late. And, right. you know, this is, you know, there there's a place where I live and I won't say the name to give it away, <laughs> but the officers would go there often. And if they went out there alone there was always fear that if you called and needed backup, I mean, it would be a half hour before anybody would get there. And, you know, which, which doesn't just include, you know, a shootout, but, um, you think about the consequences of, you know, just say you have a wreck, it's 30 minutes for an ambulance to get to you or, you know, somebody to pull your car up off the hill, whatever. But, um, the, the reality of that played out is, is stark and you see, built into the officer i mean he knows like uh, he's not gonna get help and and he goes and and goes to that station and i love how it's you know the only station and out in the middle of nowhere uh it's the only thing brightly lit it's kind of funny that it's open i mean i thought man it would be hard to hire clerks there who the hell would want to work the, in that place so it's the perfect place to stick up you know right uh, out in the right. middle of nowhere at, at night um, but he has an air horn, so you know, no problem. But he has an air horn, yeah. But uh, but yeah, that that conceit of the the two uh, thugs coming to get her, um, that's when that's when Fargo's at its best. That that the deliberate choice of the first mask not being just a ski mask being like that sort of squarish hood hooded looking mask that's a little more menacing. Right, more like a sack over his head kind yeah. of thing, which is reminiscent of a number of things. Um I mean horror even, movies. Even horror movies. I mean I think before J I think before Jason had the hockey mask, I think I think in the the second movie, I think he had a he wore something similar to that over his head, if I'm not mistaken, and yeah, different and other types of horror movies. And when you think of the bad guys in westerns, like you know, a lot of times yeah, when they would right. wear masks, they'd throw a burlap that's true thing over their head, right? And it You're would absolutely, look absolutely very that, similar to that. In fact, that's actually probably a, a more apropos um, reference because, in a, in a to a large extent, a lot of these these Fargo stories. Um, you know, especially you see, you know, and you know, UFO is not not excluded. Uh, <laughs> have kind of a Western sort of feel to them as well, uh, modern day kind of a neo Western kind of a thing. It's also interesting when you look at these two episodes. Is that to a large extent, the first episode is really it's all about introducing. I mean, you're introducing multiple characters, of course, but it's really about the Juno Temple character. It's yes. really to be about Dorothy. And not that we don't get, and we certainly get more about her in the second episode because we a, a really big blank is filled in in the second episode. But it's really about, this is, we're, we're introduced to her as this is the character we're going to be following. And then, and we, and 
as it plays out, and there's certain little hints that are cast throughout the episode that make you go, oh, is, is she somebody in hiding? It's someone, because the way she's talking about the fingerprints at at the uh, at the police station, you know, we're, so other thing, is she a fugitive? Is she a this or that? You don't know yet. Second episode is really, fo- a lot of it is telling us and focusing on the John Hamm character, um, Roy Tillman, who sounds like a character out of a, sounds like a character out of a Stephen King novel, actually. Isn't there always like some corrupt uh, politician or cop named Roy Tillman or something like that? Um, the interesting thing is that this is, this takes place in 2019. And it's actually, it's around, I guess it's around Halloween of 2019, quite frankly, since we see Halloween stuff and we even get a little, we even get a part, we get a song from Nightmare Before Christmas, which this is Noah Hawley just being a smart ass with the, what the music he picks. It, it reminds me of when he picked like that Charlie Brown song for that episode of Legion once where it's like, you don't, or, or when he did, I think for Fargo, wasn't it Fargo? He did a whole thing about Peter and the Wolf, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's, you know that he is so maddeningly specific about the music he chooses, you know, or and you know, I'm sure he does it in conjunction with the fellow who who does all the music for Fargo as well. But he does tend to go with things that aren't the norm, that aren't things we normally will see used. Whatever, whether it be something like from an actual musical, or be it a movie or or a or a Broadway production. Or a cartoon song, for God's sake! Or, geez, look what he, look how much he used going back to Legion. The Pink. I don't think anyone's used Pink Floyd that much, you know, and and that well as um, as well. But it's 2019. It's Halloween. One of the first things I'm thinking is like, okay, so this is about as modern day as we're gonna get with Fargo right now. Because if you know, if you try to go any further you run into COVID territory. Right. And, and you you almost wonder how, how long the story is going to play out here. If they may, because you never know, they might even find a way to touch on that by the end of this, of the season. If, if the story goes on for X number of weeks or months, or there'll be a reference somewhere, but it's also while Fargo doesn't, I don't feel Fargo normally makes any sort of commentary about um, what, current events, shall we say. I mean, they'll certainly talk about just greater societal issues, good or bad. I mean, we can one can debate how well they handled race, the issue of race in like season four, for example, here. Um, but this is, because, you know, this is a true story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, by the way, the, the continuing the joke of saying this is a true story, which goes back to the original Fargo movie, and the fact that the words always disappear, and they leave the word true up just a little bit longer, because which is basically a just the biggest wink you can make. Just like, this is a true story. Right. <laughs> but you can't help but think when you're watching it, especially when you meet the John Hamm character. And that was, the, oh, which, by the way, if, I don't want to say I was shocked. I'll say I was surprised. <laughs> When we hear that initial conversation, when he's in the diner with that couple, and it's not very, he's speaking, and it's not very long into the conversation, you, you almost go, wait, what did he just say? Mm-hmm. And he keeps going down that road, and I was like, 
Oh, he, he's, he's, he's a, he's a conservative preacher kind of son of a bitch. This guy is, and, and the it's not just the fact that he has these very, you know, chauvinistic conservative views, but it's also it's the way he speaks. It's the way he and he and almost referring to himself and the whole and the whole thing is like that's why I said preacher. It's like he he there's a certain religiosity to how he's talking here. You know, it's I wasn't expecting that. And then I like you mentioned it before, I I remembered us talking about the morning show. And I was like going Okay, so he was he was sort of kind of an antagonist on the morning show, though a lot of us, like me, kind of sort of were rooting for him. I mean, he had maybe had that one bad moment with Bradley, but other than that, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, because you know how I felt about her. Uh, <laughs> but here, like, oh, oh, he he is the bad. <laughs> yeah, he's a creep. I. I didn't see that come. I didn't know. <laughs> I, didn't, I was all, I was all excited. He's gonna be like, oh, I thought he had like the, the with the ten gallon hat and the and the the, the, the fleece jacket. I was like, oh, he's he's gonna be like a modern day McCloud. Yeah, that's how old I am. I remember McCloud. Like like probably like three listeners will know who I'm talking about. Um, big Dennis Weaver fans out there. Big 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 big. You know, <laughs> like Dennis. Wait, who? <laughs> so. But the way, and obviously, again, it's 2019. It's the it's the age of Trump, so you have that. So, and I believe there's a Trump reference somewhere. And I think he's list. Is he on the radio or the TV or somewhere? There's a Trump thing somewhere in that episode. I can't remember where it is. Where I was like, going, all right, that that that's about right. Whatever. And I gotta. I mean, look. John Hamm has done an, already done enough in his career. He can pretty much do. I think he, he might not have gotten to be like the big movie star that maybe he feels he should be. Maybe he does, you know. But he's. I think he's earned enough um, credibility, and with his diverse performances, he can be a bit fearless now. The scene with him in the hot tub, and he's a little beefy. He's a little beefier than what you're expecting to him, and I, I, I'm going to tell you something. I thought we were going to get a, a, a just a second shot of something, which there's no way. They, well, FX, you never know what they might be able to get away with, but there's something he's known for. <laughs> <laughs> and when we got the back shot, <laughs> and I kept thinking, are we going to see something from the back? Are we? <laughs> You know, you thought you were going to get the ham. Then we're going to get the hamaconda, or at least a, right. at least a, a shadow of it, or something, or a reaction from one of the two agents, or something. Did you notice the the nipple rings? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, I'm really intrigued by how his character is going to play out over the course of this series, because. I'm hoping. I mean, we, we've we, we've gotten a lot of information about him. He he. They were very nice to give us an unexpected level of backstory as far as, and, and now we know what the real story is with um, Darth Dot Lion and and so on, whatever. Um, and I I almost think Holly was like, 
yeah, we, 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 that's not the, we, that's not the mystery I need to drag out here. Let, let's, let's make the, you, you, you should be able to figure this out, but I'll just, I'll just fill it in for you. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll assume my audience isn't as smart as they used to be, you know, and, but, but let's just move on, whatever. But I'm curious what kind of, if there'll be any additional shadings to him as we go on. Um, well, we see a couple, we see a couple things that tell you a lot early on. One is when the hitman or the the bagman comes back with the, from the failed kidnapping. Like I, I thought this, and maybe I'm crazy. I think there's sort of a veiled uh, shot at Yellowstone here. That uh, <laughs> it's him and his kid and the people working on his place. You know, in Yellowstone. Spoiler alert: It's been out several years. Uh, you know, when people disappear, they get taken to the train station. Oh. Um, and he tells his son to take the guy, you know, away. And the, he walks down. They're going to kill him outside the barn. Um, you know, and he's and, and his his statement as a constitutional, uh, you know, sheriff about people don't understand. He's the law around there. He's the one that decides what, you know, what will be enforced and what won't. I thought there's sort of a there's a there's a plausible case that Roy Tillman is, you know, a veiled reference to, you know, John Dutton uh, and the Yellowstone people. And uh, we'll see if that continues to play out. But, uh, you know, in the. In that part of the country, even more so further west, uh, you know, with big, huge areas of, of country to govern and not a lot of people around, the, the federal government doesn't have the best name and doesn't do a lot there. And a lot of local people have a lot of power. And it, it's obvious that this Tillman character has a lot of power. Um I mean, you know, when the when when you can throw coffee in somebody's face and and not even worry, and the waitress brings you, you know, the coffee to throw in his face. Um, hey, he he could have been the sheriff on Roadhouse or something. <laughs> exactly, but uh, but I I like seeing like I wonder are we going to find out like he has more than one wife? Like, is he going to be like you know have sister wives and is it going to get really weird? Uh, I mean, and this show does sometimes get really weird in a great way. Um, I love that after the bumbling, this is another thing we see in a lot of Fargo, after sort of botching the kidnapping, mm -hmm. you know, the surviving, the surviving thug um, shows that he really is a killer. Um, and whatever she did to, to get away, taking him by surprise, and showing some ingenuity like impressed him in a way. And we've seen that we've seen that where the killers have been impressed by their prey in right. Fargo. That's true. You know? Um, and he's impressed by her. He calls her a lion, you know, to Tillman and says, you know, you didn't, you didn't get, you didn't tell me I was going to get a lion tiger or a tiger. Sorry. Yeah. The funny thing is her name is lion. <laughs> 
So yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, he could, but he calls her a tiger. Good thing. Calls her a tiger. You think you'd call her by her the name? <laughs> right, right. That, that, that's they were having they were having some fun there. Oh, his oh, just so you know, because uh, I don't I don't think they I don't know if anyone ever says it on in this uh, episode. His character's name is now his first name is O L E. So I don't know if that's I don't know if it's pronounced Ole or or Ole. Might be Ol because his last name is Munch. Maybe it's, maybe his name is Ol Munch. It could be Oli. I mean, like you know, Oli Anderson from yeah. the rest. They were from the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Right, right, right. Um, true, true. But I, I like the touches we've got, and now he's got a full out vendetta against the sheriff. Um, and we see him leave a message for the sheriff at the gas station with his ignorant son goes to get beef jerky. And did did you notice what the son was drinking? Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew, yeah, Mountain Dew and beef jerky. Like it, it's yeah. the 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 little the, the little touches. Uh, I thought were were beautiful, and uh, and I think if we move to the family stuff last, that's where the only uh, complaint I sort of have about it is. Um, I like everybody involved. I don't love Jennifer Jason Lee's vocal choices. Um, and I don't know if it's intentionally showing that she's fake or uh, her sort of overemphasis on her vocal choices sort of irritate me. Um, well, it's interesting you should say that. Um, so you, you have Jennifer Jason Lee doing what you were just talking about. Now, Jennifer Jason Lee has already been part of the Coen Brothers universe. And it's funny what you're pointing out. My if memory serves, and I'm going to say it for, for a change, it's actually going to serve me well here. Um, she had a part, memorable part, I believe it was in the Hudsucker Proxy. I think that's the movie she was in. And she made a very deliberate, and what, one of the things that that movie was noted for, both positively or negatively, depending how one felt, the critic felt about it. Um, she had a very distinctive uh, vocal choice in that as well. She was tr- she was very much trying to channel like a Rosalind Russell fast talking with a certain kind of you know accent as well, the way she or uh, her intonations, whatever. And when I saw her on this, my my first thought was like, oh, Jennifer Jason Leigh. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm I almost want to stop to think about all all five seasons now. How many people who have actually been in Coen Brothers movies already have showed up on the TV series? I don't know if there's been, if I don't know if she's the first one or if there's several. I haven't, I haven't really stopped to think about it because I, I also, I don't think I've, in fact, I know I haven't seen every Coen Brothers movie. I think that, I think I've missed a couple. I'm not sure. Um, and then I heard her speak and I went, I wonder if they're doing that on purpose because it's almost a nod to the fact that she had such an odd w- choice of, of, of uh, voice on a character she'd already did in a Coen Brothers movie. It seemed like an, it, 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 it's an odd reason to do it, of course. It would have made more sense if you had that character in season four where everything seemed to be referencing a different Coen Brothers movie, quite frankly. Um, I, don't, I don't disagree with you. I, uh, it, it felt to me like you were trying to give her just one more thing to make her just a little bit more odd or quirky. And I don't, I think everything, every line of dialogue she had could have been just as well-crafted and edgy 
without the way she delivered the lines. And, you know, the, the fact she, look, you're standing in your, in your, in your luxurious, uh, office suite, whatever, with a giant framed no, word, the word no behind you. That tells me so much already about you. I, I, by the way, love that. I should have, I wish I had that in my office back in the day when I used to work in an office. Because <laughs> uh, I used to call myself, when I worked with clients, I'm the guy who says no. And my, my colleague, she was the one who would say yes to people. And I was like, well, why'd you do that? Because now I'm going to get stuck work doing that now. Why do you think I say no? <laughs> <laughs> Hard to believe I still haven't got found a job. By the way, if anyone, <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I, I question the choice. I think I'll get used to it. It doesn't, it didn't, it didn't take me out of it. It just struck me as unnecessary. The other interesting thing about now that you mentioned that is when you have this show, again, thinking more of seasons one, two, and one, two, and three, and now this one. So you're always going to have this, and if they tend to take place in around the same location, similar locations in Minnesota, the border of Minnesota or in Minnesota or whatever, you have all those accents. And they don't always go crazy with the accents here. They don't, they don't necessarily have everyone have that accent. I have to sneeze. I'm trying not to on the podcast. I apologize. Okay. And I was actually listening, trying to listen for the accents here. Because I, I wasn't, I mean, I didn't hear that many of them. When I did, it they, they stood out like like the main, uh, who I assume is going to be the main, uh, the Minnesota uh, police deputy, um, Indira, uh, last name begins with an O, like Olmstead, I think. I, think. Um, I actually thought it was very, see that, I thought it was interesting because the accent that comes out of her, it doesn't go with the visual of her. It's kind of like, oh, okay, that's right. Because if you're from live, if you were born and bred in that area, it doesn't matter what your your racial or ethnic background is. You're gonna have that accent. So she did. It just kind of threw me when we first met. I was like, like, oh, okay, I got to get used to that, you know. But then it was like hearing Juno Temple speak with the accent, and we're used to her from like Ted Lasso, whatever. And I thought she really did a, a really impressive job with it. And by having that moment in the second episode where she slips out, of the, she deliberately slips out of the accent. One of the great things about that, if even though you already know this because you know that um, she's on, she's been on the run for ten years from from John Hamm's character. So you know, you know. Therefore, the accent has to be a put on to begin with. But it also that absolves her of any issues anyone will have with her accent if she's ever like too over the top or too. It's like no, no, no. Well, that's the idea. It's like the Hugh Laurie thing in that stupid show that I, I, I can't, I couldn't stand after a while on, on HBO, where you realize he's actually a, a British guy doing an American accent on in in on the show. So therefore, if Hugh Laurie botches his American accent, it's okay because it's established on the show he's a British actor pretending to be American. So I think that's what they've done with her. Um, I, I really, I really did like Juno Temple a lot on this. Um, but I was getting so damn frustrated with with the absurd attempts of lying she was doing throughout the second episode when I was like going, 
wait, how are you explaining the fact there's different blood there? <laughs> you know, oh, hospitals messed up. <laughs> and a reaction like, it's like, it's 2019. You know, there's cameras everywhere. <laughs> Once they said that, it's like, yeah, how you? Very interesting. Well, it, and in a way, in a way, it, it's that moment that without giving up what she's hiding, there's a charitable reading of that, that she's saying, don't dig into this. Like it will bring nothing but trouble to you, to me, to everyone that it's, it's an unwritten warning that will have serious consequences. Like had somebody just dropped it, you know, a lot of the tragedy that comes later won't probably befall some of the characters. Uh, but, but what's what's a start? What it, it they're they're kind of playing a lot of her as it's it's borderline comedy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Fargo Fargo has comedy throughout it, you know, just like the original movie did, and the sh- and the show certainly has had that as well. Um, in fact, I think that's one of the things we love about this show is how it can really deftly swerve from you know absurdist comedy to extremely high tension moments. And in, in these two episodes alone, we get moments of like genuine, you know, you know, bare knuckle tension. And, and even in moments that you, you wouldn't have expected to care about a character. I mean, the ending of the second episode, when we see that, um, the, uh, the, oh, oh, we'll say, he's, we'll say it's only until we hear it otherwise. I'll go with you on that one. When only kills the other, um, deputy dude, whatever. And then when, when we watch, uh, Joe Carey's character get in the car and we're, and we're just waiting for something to happen. And you don't know if, this, if, if a hand's going to come and grab him. You don't know if he's going to get in the car with him. You don't know what's, and then he sees, I guess he's, he finally sees the reflection of, of, of his, of his partner, his body or something and he gets out, whatever. And, but there's so many moments like that. I, I that's, I think what really, makes the show work but going back to getting back to my point with, with the with the, with dot and the absurdist i mean the i how she i was i was laughing because okay she's telling everyone that this is all made up that nothing happened but then but she's She's setting up her entire house like it's Home Alone Four or something, you right. know, with all these horrific torture devices with sledgehammers and and yeah, I was gonna say Chekhov's sledgehammer. Yeah, the, the, the sledgehammer on oh, that bat with the I I, I love you know this little, little nine year old girl is just nailing <laughs> all these giant spikes into a bat. You've electrified the window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just so much. That's well, you know, it's an arts and craft project. You know, makes makes perfect sense. Well, it's it's funny because the deputy says says she's Rambo or MacGyver. MacGyver was that guy on TV? uh, MacGyver. MacGyver. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. She. She. uh, They've given her. They've given her a sense of mystery and capability that is is a really interesting way to start the show. Um, she's perhaps more, uh, equipped to deal with 
challenges than maybe some of the other people in peril than we've seen. Right. And you wouldn't expect, I mean, we, you know, the first scene, she goes to this, another, you know, touching on a timely topic, a school board meeting that breaks into a full brawl. Um, and she, she comes prepared with a stun gun. Um, so, I mean, she's always prepared for danger and has lots of ideas. Isn't it an interesting choice that the episode and the premiere, the season, the premiere starts, the fight's already broken out. It's, it's, it, it, it's a raging fight already. We're, we're just, we're just, we don't, we never see what leads up to it, how this whole happens, how uh, like every single person is attacking each other. And, it, you know, it's almost like a rage disease has kind of infected the entire crowd. It's, I mean, if you told me that, if I put this on and you told me this was, you know, a sci-fi show, it would have been like, oh, okay, that's what's happening. That's what's happening, though. Um, it's, yeah, um... I'm I'm curious uh, if we'll get. I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to employ flashbacks or not in this. I'm trying to remember. I I feel like we've there were flashbacks done in, in previous seasons, so I I feel he can. Um, and I feel he almost. I think he almost has to. I think we're gonna. I I'd be very shocked if we don't see flashbacks of how she and the John Hamm character were an actual married couple. Um, and also, was he like that then, the way he is now? I'm very curious about that because I'm trying to because if she if he was, then it's hard to imagine she would have been with him. And I wonder if he's kind of quote unquote changed and and all of a sudden become has be, or was becoming this arch conservative because maybe that's you know how the political winds blew. And because, you know, he's running, you know, he has to run for office, too, as being sheriff there or whatever. Um, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot that's really kind of fun and interesting that's going on here. Um, and yet not, it, we haven't gotten to the point where anything's like overly convoluted or complicated yet. It's going to get, you know, it will. But we know what's going on with her, you know. She she's been on the she was she was on the run from from her husband probably some sort of abusive situation we don't know exactly what it is it might be something beyond that the way he refers to her almost implies it's something else you know he keeps referring to like a, a debt and you wonder if there's something more to it than just the fact that she that she left him and or abandoned him or whatever I wonder if there's more to it than that obviously you know Lorraine you know the the, the mama lion so to speak um, thinks it's something else and she's sort she's she's not exactly right but she's not exactly wrong either because she is right about well she is she is she is conning everybody you know I and also when we get to hear her husband more, it's like, oh, you're presenting this dude as almost the polar opposite of the John Hamm character. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if this was like the 1980s, we'd be comparing like Chuck Norris to Phil Donahue or something like that. <laughs> oh, how old am I? So... uh <laughs> Did you note the little comments that the Jennifer Jason Lee character was making about uh, the daughter, the granddaughter, I should say? Oh, yes. Yes. 
not not loving the androgyny in the granddaughter. Yeah, uh, that I thought that was very interesting. I don't have dolls. I have ninjas. <laughs> yeah. And the whole thing about not where where's my granddaughter? Where is that going? Oh, okay. All right, so we're we have, we're going to have a bunch of characters like that this season. Yeah, I'm not saying he's making any kind of commentary, but he is. <laughs> but I, but the, the touches that I love is like, will we get a scene where Danish Graves describes how he lost his eye? And also his choice to have a white eye patch. Which I focused on and obsessed over because it worked better and called less attention to it than if it was another color. Yeah. But, you know... You know what I'm thinking. If with the white hair, he's got the white punch, yep. and we got all these other kind of concerted things going on. He's like, all right, I wonder if. Uh, okay. And he's supposed to be. She's basically. He's basically their 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 lawyer, their consigliere, yes. whatever. Uh, uh, is always on. They, they often there's a character like that. He's. Yeah, consigliere. That's, that's what I was thinking of the, the the Tom character from The Godfather. And I guess we're going to get more with those agents also. I think I saw, I did watch the, you know, this season on Fargo, whatever. I, I You got to love Roy being deliberately belittling and playing and, you know, kind of playing up, not being, you know, being like a country boy, like calling him Jay Queen instead, yeah. <laughs> instead of walking. He's like, maybe, you, maybe Mr. Mrs. Jay Queen could go. <laughs> Not even acknowledging that her name, which I believe is said, is Agent Meyer, which by ignoring that and calling Mr. and Mrs. J. Queen is like, okay, did you just get a, was that a really super subtle little anti-Semitic thing there? Not, of course, someone could be named Meyer, not necessarily be Jewish, of course, but you know. Um, yeah, I, I, I just like that we're, we're getting these little bits. I'm, and now it's, we're going to watch how these things come together as they do on Fargo, how these two officers are going to eventually be working together. I'm sorry though. Um, and I, I, maybe I'm wrong about this. If you delete a photo, you can, I'm pretty sure you can, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I'll, I'll look at my phone. There's I always, a deleted file. You can go to deleted files and, and call it back up. It, you have to, you have to delete from deleted items for it to be gone. But maybe maybe she's not familiar with how phones work. I'm just, I, kept, I kept thinking that it's like, so what if you deleted it? <laughs> you got to you got to delete twice to make something like delete delete. You know, like I have I have some pictures. I I I, I felt guilty that I had my phone fairly recently, and I and I did I did some deleting. And I I noticed it's like you know what I didn't delete the whole way though. It's like because you know there's going to be a day where like. Eh, Click, click. What am I talking about? Stop, Scott. Anyway, so um, <laughs> that's from one listener. says, I want to hear more about your personal life. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, the last thing I'd like to touch on. Yep. I really like the uh, use of it, it, the use of the 70s music to start the episodes. I thought it was really, really strange to hear rush yeah to, I, I don't know how i feel about the rush song i gotta be honest maybe it's, I, I i liked it see you know what it, I, okay I, i'm a little biased because i'm not the biggest rush fan i don't hate them i know people who hate them i don't hate them. i just i 
could live with or without them. I mean, I'm more impressed by Geddy Lee's uh, collection of baseball memorabilia than I am about, <laughs> or, or that song he did with the, the McKenzie brothers back in the day. <laughs> that ain't Rush song. Um, but that's a that's a not you know biggest in the pantheon song. That, that oh was, no, that it, it wasn't like Tom Sawyer or something. Yeah, I know no. that. But I, I I like I like I wonder if we're gonna see if this is gonna be a walk through the seventies progressive, like you know if we're gonna open the episode with seventies progressive band songs because we did yes and we did rush in episode two. Oh, um, yeah. Okay, you All know right. I, I'm gonna be following that as as a music guy. Oh, you're the and, music guy. And I did love I did love you know from. Uh, bluegrass legend Ralph Stanley. I did love Glory Land when she was in uh, being booked in the jail and taken to jail when Dot was taken to jail. Oh, okay. It's, it's uh, that's you know that's sort of one of those uh, uh, acapella bluegrass gospel songs. Um, and Ralph is a Ralph's a legend. And I wonder, you know, after I watched everything and got the full lay of the land of the two episodes, I wonder if that was a commentary that at that moment when she got arrested and went in the system, like her life was was dead. And that, you know, like like that, that she was moving, moving on to glory land was her former life and she was going to be left, you know, with her old life again. So um, I, I really really appreciated the music in the, in the episodes. And like you said, I mean, after years, the first thing I I didn't expect to hear, yes. Uh, And I didn't expect to hear, you know, the, the nightmare before Christmas. This is Halloween. And, and and a a significant chunk of the song. And I was, and again, I, you know, I I have the captioning on him. I'm just reading all the lyrics. And I'm like, well, they're going through a lot of this song. I was like, okay, well, Thanks for reminding me this is taking place around Halloween. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, interesting choice there, Mr. Hawley. Yeah, so it, it'll be fun to watch um, how the story progresses uh, as far as, you know, I, I'm sure there's still probably, as has been the case with other seasons of Fargo, I'm, I'm sure there's still plenty of more characters yet to be introduced that will be playing a part in this because <laughs> there, there always is. Um and yeah, that's pretty. I I do have one love. Oh, I have a question, a silly question, just like, such a dumb, not nitpicky question. Just trying to figure it out. Um, so when they're at the um, the what do you call it? The the, the gas station convenience mm-hmm. store thing, whatever the, the phrase is for it. Um, there's that part where she grabs a uh, a jug of I don't know what it is exactly cleaning fluid or something whatever I thought it was maybe I, I thought it was gonna be something flammable maybe and she pours it all in front of the doorway and then later on when the guy has already smashed through and there's, so there's bits of glass everywhere and he does he he does step on it but I don't see anything come of that. What, did I miss something? What the point of doing that was? I, I, no, I. My thought was initially flammable when that didn't work out. My thought was maybe it was something like they would slip on, like you know, come through the door and step on and slip. Uh, okay. But but the the glass 
probably gave, provided gave the traction. traction. Okay. Unless right. the glass door was broken. That That's how I took that. Because right. I thought, is that also what she was trying to do with, do with the ice when she had like, those two big bags with her original idea, like to create a, a slippage kind of a situation with that as well. And it's like, okay, so, so her, her plans always seem to be based on things she's seen in either, you know, family movies or cartoons. <laughs> you know, as or she of, orders them from the Acme company. Yeah, Acme company, right. So there'll be a big, I expect to see a big rocket, you know, exactly. sled in the next episode, which would make sense, you know, Minnesota, whatever. Um, okay. Um, so, yep. Yeah. Uh, good start to the season. Um, interesting. I mean, the thing I I guess I need to see more of, because all right, we we see the we see what the two warring factions are going to be, you know, it's 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 the she's she's so much more than a housewife versus the the evil sheriff from another town who's you know trying to hunting her down, and then we have the other supporting players who will cause problems, whether it be the. Um, former abductor slash hitman like dude or the Jennifer Jason Lee character over here causing it. So they'll, they'll cause their own issues, other little firestorms of issues throughout the way. Um, so the plan was going to be, is going to be that, you know, the show is going to be on, it's going to be, it's going to be on FX on Tuesday nights, which means it'll be on Hulu on Wednesdays. And hopefully we will try to record Wednesday nights and I will release it. If not Wednesday night, probably like Thursday morning. So it's not that much later. Um, there is one thing I hadn't anticipated because it just happened in my life. So I don't know what's going to happen next week. I haven't and I didn't tell Brian about this before we recorded because I didn't have time. Um, I, I'm, I, among my many health issues as of late, I've, I've had, I've gotten hit with a dental one rather recently and I'm having a couple of teeth yanked out of my head Wednesday afternoon. So I don't know because it's the last time I had, I mean, it's two of my, it's my two remaining wisdom teeth because one is just like, we're not putting another filling in there. We've been telling you for three years it has to come out. Now it's coming out. Oh, by the way, we got to take out the other one because otherwise everything's going to be out of alignment. And, and then you also got some weird deep pocket that's going on back there. So it's prone to, for infection. I was like, all right, whatever, just do it. Take them out, whatever. I don't know how, I don't know if I'll be able to talk. Later that night, I don't know. I haven't. I, I honestly, I honestly don't know. I suspect it might be a problem. I don't know. I don't know if, if therefore maybe I might be okay by the next night. I don't. I don't know. So basically, it's going to be a wait and see. If worse comes to worst, we'll just push it, and we'll do two. We'll do two episodes the following week if if need be if if I'm just not in the condition because I don't want to delay it to like the end of the week because then it gets silly you know I don't want to release it like on Saturday well I mean I guess we could but I don't know why I have plans Friday I can't although with my teeth I might not have plans anymore hmm. we'll see so I don't I don't know what's gonna happen with that it it, I, it occurred it, it Brian it, it didn't occur to me until earlier today that's you know, okay I went oh wait a minute. <laughs> I was all I was all excited, like oh, I was able to avoid the whole dart thing. That's going to happen when I, I can recover for the next few days. Like, oh, you know what? You're supposed to be recording a podcast, but you haven't even scheduled the Teen Wolf podcast, much less <laughs> this one. 
<laughs> I keep forgetting about that. So we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll worst case scenario, we'll do two the following. We'll do both the next two on, on one week the following. Or you know, but if I'm okay to talk, or maybe I'll, maybe I'll just I'll just like nod and just just make little sounds or something, and and Brian will do all the talk. Ah, look at that. <laughs> Wouldn't it, be amazing, wouldn't it be amazing for there to finally be an, an episode of the Serious TV Drama Podcast that I didn't actually participate in? <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason it couldn't happen. It just never, it never. <laughs> you know what? It could be, you know, like really, really maybe use the guest hosting as a, like, you know, like when Johnny would take off Mondays and, and Tuesdays and Fridays. You <laughs> 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 could, could be my Gary Shandling. And she, I, hey, you know what? Actually, of all the people that guest host, I am thrilled that you picked Gary Shandling. I wasn't going to pick Jay. Come on. Ugh. And she could be Joan Rivers. <laughs> <laughs> Although someone as Midwestern as her is about as far away from Joan Rivers as you can get. Absolutely. <laughs> Joan Rivers, if she ha- if she like had no ethnicity whatsoever. <laughs> anyway, all right. So yes, um, hopefully we'll 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 be back next week. But if not, if if my if my uh, if the if the gaping holes in my mouth <laughs> cause a problem, we'll push it to the following week. <sighs> this is what happens when I don't script <laughs> podcast ahead of time. Anywho. Hopefully, y'all, if y'all enjoy this podcast, you'll also enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page. It's the Serious TV Drama Podcast page. Like the page. You can join the conversation about shows like Fargo and so many others. We are available on most podcast platforms. Obviously, if you go to podbean.com. I shouldn't say obviously. That's a stupid. That's not obvious at all. If you go to podbean.com, that's where you can find. That's the one place you can find all of our podcasts. We're at 392. I think this is 392. Is this 391 or 392? I'm going to say it's 392. Um, and if you happen to go on Apple Podcasts, that's a place you can rate and review us. That's kind of cool. No one's done it in a while. But we have a plenty. I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining about that. I've, I've heard there's other podcast platforms that we're on that also have ways you can rate and review us. I don't know where to, I've looked. I, I can't find that anywhere. I'm very confused by it. Then I realize, okay, I'm, I'm still a Luddite with these things, so I don't care. You can find us on Instagram. Serious TV drama is one word. Um, I guess we'll, we'll remain on X Twitter, even though, you know, with Musk supporting anti-Semitic statements, I'm feeling a little funny about that, but you know, I mean, I'm allowed to make them because, you know, Jew. But I, <laughs> if, you, if, if, you, if you don't care for it, no. Um, you, you can follow us there at STVD Podcast. That's STV as in serious TV drama. If I sound like I'm talking funny because I can feel my nose starting to drip. I don't know what's going on. So let me do this one more time. Okay. It's the ghost of Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, so thank you so much for joining me tonight, and I look forward on embarking on the rest of this season with you. Um, oh, by the way, another one of our favorite shows that we could have mentioned, uh, but we're not doing a podcast about uh, For All Mankind is off to a really strong start this season. Absolutely. I'm very happy to see that. Me, you and I are big fans of that show, and 
Is this the final season? I think it's the final season. I think so. I think year one. I mean, they were, you know, they're, they're, they're literally running out of time. Unless they went into the future, the future, the future. Um, so I am watching that, and uh, I just started that body show, which has been around for like a month or two, and I'm enjoying that. It's like I, I already did the joke on Facebook, so I've ruined it. I should have saved it for the podcast. It's like you know what it is? It's like dark light. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Still works. Don't care. <laughs> There's gonna be people who are on that Facebook page. Um, am I watching anything else? Nah, nothing else worth talking about. In, 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 invisible, invisible. Wow. <laughs> Sounded like Trump slurring a speech there. Invisible. Uh, invincible. <laughs> invincible. What oh, I just watched something for the, oh, uh, three nights in a row I watched, I rewatched Citizen Kane and I actually sat there for about a half an hour going through my entire life trying to figure out how many times I've actually watched Citizen Kane. Because I, I automatically said, oh, I've seen it, I must have seen it at least 20 times. Like, no, have you really? And I started figuring out how many times I must watch in my childhood. Then in the nineties, then I was going. I figured out I was like, I've seen it at least twelve times. Because I realized I, was, I wanted to watch uh, David Fincher's The Killer, and I went on Netflix and I realized, oh my god, I never, I never got around to watching David Fincher's Mank from a few years ago, which is about the the writing of Citizen Kane. And I said, you know what, I should watch Citizen Kane before I watch that. Best decision I could have made because it's excellent to watch those back to back because everything is just fresh in your mind and all the references and everything else. And I really, I, I see Mank got a ton of Oscar nominations. I don't know how it didn't, but it, I don't think it got a screenplay nomination, which is insane. If that's the one, other than the art direction, that's the one thing I'd given it. A, I, would, I, I wouldn't have given any of the actors anything, but I think the screenplay, anyway, whatever. And then I watched The Killer. Uh, it's, it's okay. It's fine. It's just, you know, I wasn't. I'm a little bothered because the opening credits sound, look like the opening of, of a certain other script, which I can't really talk about here, which kind of made me go, I don't know if that's going to be a problem. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I'm not the director. Let him figure it out. <laughs> but it's like, you know, we might have to go back to my original opening, but whatever. Anyway, I'm, ta- I'm rambling here. Brian, thank you for uh, joining me on the podcast, and I look forward to talking to you soon. And yep. it, and to you, and to our listeners, and um, I know I bet you were going to do it, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to preempt you. Um, if you happen to listen to this tomorrow, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, see, you want to be the bearer of good news for once. It's happy, Scott. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, happy Thanksgiving to everyone, and happy Thanksgiving to you, Scott. Uh, love Fargo. Can't wait for the next episode. Check it out. Email us. Uh, hit us up on social media, and we'll talk to you soon. Email us. Do we still have an email? Do we have an email address? Oh, that's right. We do. I still, I don't know. What the, I can't remember what the password is to access. <laughs> okay. Don't email us. Hit us up on social media. Yeah. yeah. People, by the way. You can comment on the Facebook page, or or you can tweet. I guess you can tw- tweet or whatever. Wait, if it's not Twitter, then it's not tweet. Oh, oh, is it posting? Is that what they're uh, fucking idiots? Um, but I'm going to say this to a bunch of people out there. You can comment on the podcast on the page. It's okay to do that. 
You don't need to send me a private message. You can share it with the world. It's it's like the people who do that, and there's a there's a certain few who do it all the time. There's and they have a couple of randos who do it. It's like when you do that, I appreciate the com- especially when they're compliments. Some there's been some not so compliments, whatever. But it's like you're ashamed to admit you listen when you do that. <laughs> do it on the page. Do it on the page. Neil Page. Thanksgiving. There you go. <laughs> it all came. There together. you go. All right. On the page. Good night. <laughs> have a good night, everybody. Thank mm-hmm. you.